0: This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching programme with Brian Johnston. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today, Brian brings us talk number five in our series of studies from the Bible book of Daniel. If you've been following the series, you'll know that Brian draws relevant teaching for today from the events that surround Daniel and other characters in the book. Uh, Today's talk is called Let the Critics Eat Their Words. The readings are from Daniel chapter 5 this time, but first there's an introduction where Brian clears up a difficulties some have expressed about this biblical account. So, let's join Brian
1: now. Thank you, John. Belshazzar is called king several times in the book of Daniel. There may be many things we still don't know about the historical setting of Daniel, but we understand from Babylonian records that actually someone called Nabonidus was the king of Babylon at this time. Now the point is, he's not mentioned by name in the Bible. So following the Bible, how can it be said that Belshazzar is king? And in any case, why was Daniel, you read this in chapter 5 and verse 16, why was Daniel appointed as the third ruler in the kingdom? Why third? Who were the other two? Few books of the Old Testament have come under such critical attack as the book of Daniel. By post-dating the book and so claiming it was written after the events it predicted as occurring from the 6th century BC onwards, some of its prophetic statements have been relegated to mere historical footnotes. This is the view of liberal scholars and raises the issue, can we trust our Bibles? It turns out that we can, And let's use this Daniel challenge as an example of how more careful historical and archaeological and scientific research, time after time, ends up vindicating the Bible. An article by Dr Alan Millard dealing with these issues appeared in Biblical Archaeology Review, and that was back in 1985. If you want the complete reference, you'd find it in the transcript booklet that John will tell you about later. But at the time, Millard was a senior lecturer in Hebrew and ancient Semitic languages at the University of Liverpool in England. He explains there about the discovery of clay cylinders in southern Iraq by a man called J. G. Taylor. Another man, called Sir Henry Rawlinson, was able to read the Babylonian inscriptions on them, which had been written at the command of Nabonidus, king of Babylon, who was king from 555 to 539 BC. And actually, the words on that clay cylinder were a prayer for the long life and good health of Nabonidus and for his eldest son. And the name of that son, clearly written on the clay cylinder, was Belshazzar. Remember what we said earlier, the Bible book of Daniel has been one of the books unbelievers and critics have targeted most. One of the strongest arguments against it, and against it being genuine in fact, was by claiming that such a character as Belshazzar never in fact existed, since they thought he was unknown to history. Historians were sure Nabonidus was the last Babylonian king and that he was absent from the city when it was captured. The conclusion was that Belshazzar was mythical and the whole story of Daniel could be dismissed as legendary. However, that was before those clay cylinders were found at Chaldean sites which mentioned Belshazzar as being the eldest son of Nabonidus. Doubtless then, he reigned as regent in the city during his father's absences. This would have made him the second ruler, the co-regent in the kingdom and explains why he appointed Daniel as the third ruler in the kingdom. Here was clear proof that an important person named Belshazzar lived in Babylon during the last years of the city's independence. So Belshazzar was not an imaginary figure after all. In some of the inscriptions discovered from the reign of Nabonidus, we find that the parties swear their oaths at that time by Nabonidus and by Belshazzar the king's son. This suggests that Belshazzar may well have had a special status. We know that during part of his father's reign, Belshazzar was the effective authority in Babylon. According to one account, Nabonidus entrusted the kingship to Belshazzar. As Belshazzar was already second in the kingdom, serving as a co-regent with his absent father, he could offer Daniel nothing greater than to become third ruler in the kingdom. Why should Daniel gain that honour? Well, with good reason now to trust the Bible account as factual, we join chapter 5 as it sets the scene for us. Night is falling over the great capital of Babylon, with its buildings and towers and the river Euphrates flowing through it. Here are the hanging gardens, built by Nebuchadnezzar for his bride, homesick on the flat Mesopotamian plains, homesick for the mountains of her native land. This is not just any night. For on this night there's to be a great banquet for Belshazzar and a thousand of his lords and nobles, their ladies and his wives and concubines. Imagine a banqueting hall in keeping with the splendour of a world empire. With the guests all seated and the banquet underway, Belshazzar decides to startle his guests with an unheard of performance. We're reading from Daniel chapter 5 and verse 2 he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in jerusalem so that the king and his nobles his wives and his concubines might drink from them suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace the king watched the hand as it wrote his face turned pale And he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. What a grand defiance this had been. What a royal joke to drink to the health of the heathen gods, the gods of silver, gold, iron, brass, wooden stone, with the vessels dedicated to the worship of the Most High God. Where was the God of the Hebrews? He was nearer than anyone thought, as suddenly... Over against the lampstand, illuminated clearly by its light, the king saw to his horror the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall. His face then drained of all colour and his knees began to knock. Many, many, tekel, parson. Those were the words the fingers left behind on the wall, but no one could read them. Then the queen remembered the old Hebrew statesman who had served under Nebuchadnezzar. The queen wasn't present at the banquet, for it was hardly a fit place for her. But when the news was brought to her of what had happened, she came in and told the king about Daniel, who was able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. The king then gave an order that Daniel should be brought in, and soon an old man made his appearance. What a contrast between this Hebrew statesman and prophet and Belshazzar and his revelers. As Daniel stood there, I imagine his strong, God-fearing countenance with its white locks surveying the spectacle of debauchery and recent hilarity, but now frozen in terror. Daniel was candid as he gave the interpretation of the writing on the wall. This is the inscription that was written, Mini, many Tekel, Parson. And this is what these words mean. Mini. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of sixty-two. Belshazzar, is an example of a man who refused to be taught and who wouldn't be warned. In that brief and powerful sermon, Daniel reminded the king of the pride and blasphemy of his predecessor upon the throne, Nebuchadnezzar, and how God had dealt with it. Yet unwarned by that, Belshazzar had gone one worse than Nebuchadnezzar and had exalted himself to a climax of infamy and blasphemy by drinking wine out of the cups from the Jerusalem temple. Note, please, neither Belshazzar nor anyone else goes to his or her doom unwarned. Belshazzar suddenly, on that night, saw a hand writing on the wall. It was writing his judgment and doom, the last chapter of his personal history and of his empire. Nothing could now be changed, nothing altered. Weighed in the balance of his wives and concubines and the thousand revelers at his banquet that night, Belshazzar was not found wanting. His guests had surely been enjoying the grandeur and the debauchery of it all, for as Jesus said, people love the darkness. But it's not the judgment and balance of this world that counts, but God's judgment and God's balance. Weighed in that balance, Belshazzar was indeed found wanting. And God weighs us in the balance. He's the searcher of every thought, the discerner of every secret, the observer of every act. All of us, weighed in his balance, searched by his judgment, are most definitely found wanting. But God has provided for us a weight of righteousness that's not our own. The Apostle Paul said that God has wiped out the handwriting of requirements or the writing of the debt that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You'll find these wonderful words written in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 14. So I want to ask you, have you acknowledged before a holy God that as well as the writing on the cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, there was other handwriting also? Seen only by the eye of faith. Do you believe that the extent to which you've offended God was written there on the cross? Nailed to the cross of Jesus. And it's as though God looked upon the death of his son there and then wrote, paid in full over the writing of the debt. Your debt and my debt. But have you turned to God yet and trusted for forgiveness in his son, Jesus Christ, the only saviour? Again, may I ask you, when the hand begins to write, will it stop with that sentence, you are weighed in the balances and found wanting, or will it add, but found trusting in Christ and so forgiven?
0: The transcript book for this series is a reminder of what's been said in all the talks. It's very helpful and it's free. Uh, You can also download many of our books and talks via the internet, but the hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Daniel Decoded. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8 dy UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box, and there they are. So, many thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company today and I hope you're enjoying this series if you're following from week to week. If you can, do join us again for another talk in this series. But for now, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So, cheerio and may God richly bless you.